Hello and welcome back to the latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And we are trying this again. We have scrapped 24 minutes of pretty terrible audio. Well, pretty terrible. 17 minutes of bad audio <laughs> and 7 minutes of we could probably make this work. We've eaten pizza. I've eaten the hot wings. You're attacking a chair. You're attacking. And we're ready to go. <laughs> Uh, welcome back. We are in a frigid Oakland dining room situation. It's still cold. Very cold. And by cold, we mean 50 degrees. But that's cold enough. What's new with you? Gojira. Gojira? Gojira. What did... Oh, <coughs> you watched the... Well, there's a couple of things. He's all over the place these days. A Godzilla anime on Netflix. Mm-hmm. But what I'm finding really interesting is something called Godzilla Island, which was... It sounds like a video game. It is not a video game. It's a very... Okay, so it's a series of three-minute films that were done for, I believe it was Japanese television. And it's very bizarre because it follows the adventures of all the monsters herded onto Monster Island. What is Monster Island? Monster is that like Island. Jurassic Park? Well, in the original Godzilla films from the 60s, uh, Monster Island is uh, in, the di- in the future, their future, which would be the year 2000, people are living on the moon and things the like that. The year 2000. Right, exactly. All the monsters are herded, Godzilla, Mothra, Rodan, are all herded onto a big island where they live and they're monitored by uh, people who uh, think they have the right to live, the monsters, and that they're there and they're protected by a force field, around force shield, force field. Force field. Around the island, and their ke- people are kept safe from them, and they live there basically in some sort of big prehistoric ecosystem. Anyhow, and that's become a popular staple of the series of films since then. So this is short films, short animated no, films? No, these aren't animated films. That's oh. where it becomes bizarre. They're three minutes long apiece. They have a storyline. But for some reason, I believe the, and this is the 80s Godzilla, who was a kind of a 90s terrifying apparition with double rows of teeth and black eyes. And so in an attempt not to frighten children, all the scenes involving Godzilla and his friends are done with action figures. Like toys. Actual, yes. You're watching <coughs> Robot Chicken. What you're watching no, is... No, I'm pretty sure no, you're watching Robot they're Chicken. They're not even animated. They're just sort of popped from behind what looks yeah, like a... like uh, Robot Chicken. A Thomas the Tank Engine train set. Oh no! And they're what? sort of moving around, and and there's live action characters who talk to each other. There's a whole plot. And these at episodes. any point, does a cat tell you that borrowing without asking is the one hundred and second stupid thing to do? No, but similar lessons are learned. Ah, uh, there's a cute girl from Planet X um, wearing an outfit that probably is not completely appropriate for children's television. There's a talking robot that basically looks like a basketball with eyes. And it's... Like BB-8? Yes. No, BB-8 Only doesn't even have eyes. He floats. Mm, and That's not a robot. That's a ghost. It's the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. There's um, the Godzilla theme that's really familiar to people who like the series. It was written by a very serious musician uh, and composer who did a lot of music for Toho Studios. And here it's turned into some sort of frantic cheer song. Ugh, this sounds terrible. It's really weird. So is this all you've done for the last week? (laughs) Yes. Watch somebody playing with these live action toys and cutting away to live to actual actors. 
and oh, just mad right. at yourself that you didn't do it first to get paid for it? Yes. And apparently it was uh, a successful enough to where all the toys themselves were sold through Bandai. You were basically watching adults play with toys you can't see their hands, like Mr. Bill with Godzilla mm. and Rodan. And occasionally, yeah, they're on wires and being swung around over this tiny little set. But is it is really strange. Are these on YouTube? These are on YouTube. They okay. release, there's a Godzilla channel, and they're releasing one. There's a Godzilla channel there on YouTube. Several, of course there are several, but there's an official Godzilla channel. I don't know how YouTube works. And they release one every week, and they're only available for a few weeks. So you have to watch them all Ooh, now. Like the vault. Right. It's like Disney. Or else, well, maybe they're taking it. Godzilla's actually gotten big enough to where there's a Godzilla commission now. Godzilla's always been big. <laughs> but now he's even bigger. <laughs> I know. So now there's the animated film on Netflix, which is the first of a trilogy. There's a new Godzilla manga. there, And so he's blowing up so big that there's a commission now that's just assigned to deal with his public image everywhere. So there's wow. less stepping on buildings because they want to make him an envoy. No offense, Japan. But you should probably work on your population aging problem before you work on your Godzilla the public face of Godzilla problem. Well, Godzilla is there was a... Because did you know that like uh 60 some percent, it's like a crazy high percentage of the Japan's population is like over 60. Yeah. They're aging. Lopsidedly. Right. So, I mean, that's a real problem for the country, Mm -hmm. but um... (laughs) Yes, so that's, that's why I'm serious. like... Thank you for being a downer. I was really well, happy about Godzilla. Now I think there'll be no more Japanese people, so I'm... There'll I'm be like four place. of them. <clears throat> and I bet they will all love Godzilla. Well, I, do they love Godzilla or do they fear Godzilla? Well, it's very different there because to them, the first Godzilla film was... I mean, it's a very serious movie that gets a lot of critical acclaim now. Didn't at the time. So Who's they the famous it, person in it? Uh, in the American version, it was Raymond Burr. That's right. And that American version was edited together years after the original film had been purchased by like American producers. But anyhow, so there's a Godzilla commission, so he's everywhere now, and he's likely to make lots of public appearances. And they're trying to get him to be an Olympic sponsor as well, which I don't think sends a good sign since he's both radioactive, destructive, and well, slaughters thousands. Twenty twenty Olympics are going to be in Tokyo. That's where they want him to be an Olympic. Mm. Symbol, and I, I don't. That's right, because South Korea is this year, right? And it's funny because that's winter, so this will be summer Olympics in Tokyo. I've seen pictures of Toho Studios now, and there's like this sort of rift between two huge walls, and one picture is Toshiro Mifune, one mural is Toshiro Mifune, the other one is Godzilla. Oh, like those big murals at Universal right. Studios. Down so it's like that. this is they're representing the twin pillars that Toho Studios built their fortune on. I didn't even know Toho had anything to do with Toshiro Mifune. Yeah, Toho did a I just film. thought that all they <clears throat> did was Gojira. No, the funny thing is Godzilla was so unexpectedly popular, the reason why we have Seven Samurai and the Hidden Fortress is because of Godzilla. Because Kurosawa easily took two years to make a film. Right. And so... It's crazy that those films took two years, but a Godzilla film could be pumped out in like six months. (laughs) Well, the funny bit is that his assistant director, Nishiro Honda, is the one who created Godzilla. Uh... And throughout Kurosawa's career, he kept telling Toho, I want to direct the Godzilla film. He said that Honda's having all the fun. He gets to go play with miniature sets and have monsters. I just have to fight with Toshiro Mifune. <laughs> right. It really sucks. Yeah, Toshiro Mifune is a big enough monster. But, um, no, they liked each other for a while. But um, 
but yeah, so uh, one of Kurosawa's regrets is he didn't get to direct one of the films and have all the fun that his assistant director was having all the time. That would have been a ridiculous feature. I think it would have been amazing. It also w- w- would be directly made for you. Right. Yeah, exactly. So hopefully you would have liked it because you know what was directly made for me? Tim Burton directing Alice in Wonderland. And oh, yet, that failed utterly. Exactly. It was horrible. But I was biologically programmed to enjoy it. Did I? Nope. And I liked the second one less. I don't know if that's true. Because well, I, I slept through it. I had to watch it. You fell sound You didn't asleep. have to. I was snoring. You could have stopped it at any no, time. No, it was the same way that I had to wind up. It was the film for Halloween that we wound up watching because Kimberly's friends are. Oh, no, I walked out. Um, yeah. Dead Alive. Dead Alive. Which was just. Awful. I was I like, mean, guess what? I don't want to watch. Bye. Bye. <laughs> you just walked out and you left me there. Said, oh. I have determined that as a grown ass individual, if I don't want to watch a thing, I don't need to and watch you made a thing. A much and if decision. I'm the only one who doesn't want to watch a thing, right. have a lovely time. Right. I've got a bedroom with a door and, and just, a computer I was so I can with, watch whatever I want to watch. What I will describe as a bunch of millennials. Maybe that's an accurate representation. Mm, accurate, but it's before millennials was a term. a term. Right? Yeah. Sitting there, and it was Halloween, and they wanted to choose a movie, and they chose Dead Alive, and we had the choice of... It was like 10 movies, uh-huh. all of which I would have been on board for, except right. that one. And, and that, stuff that from was the one that my collection, wanted. everything from, I think it was The Wicker Man through Suspiria, real I movies. I think The Haunting might have, right. like the original Jesus. Haunting <clears throat> might have been one of the choices, the and original Halloween might have been one of the choices, like, and I just was like... I admire Peter Jackson for what Peter Jackson does. Uh-huh. I have seen stills from Dead Alive, and I have determined it's not a thing I need to look at. It was, yeah. It was... Mm. It's like Human Centipede. Well, it wasn't that bad. Well, no, but it's it's a choice that I've made. Hey, Netflix, never going to watch it. Can I just tell you that I'm never uh-huh. going to watch... Like, my... This is a... Not a not a rational fear, and I understand that. But my fear is that I'm going to be surfing through Netflix when I have insomnia at three o'clock in the morning, and be like, "Well, how bad could it really be?" And then watch one of the oh, Human Centipede movies. Be that bad. And it, I don't want there, to. There are things that, over the course of my life, long, long lifetime, <laughs> I have seen and just said, "You know, I didn't. I just narrowly avoided one of those yesterday. I did. I narrowly avoided Exorcist Two. Oh. And what this, is the, the heretic? The heretic. Mm. And this was um, John... I feel like How Did This Get Made did an Exorcist 2 well, episode. It, it wasn't... I think the thing is it seemed to have... Like it was going to be a really good idea. Yeah. Because it was directed by John Borman who did um, Deliverance. Uh-huh. And so he was really big in the 70s too. And That's the Square Like a Pig movie. Um, yes. So he's a very good director. He's very weird. John Borman's very weird, but he's a great director. And this was going to be a sequel to that film. It had a great director lined up, and originally they were going to go cheap in a really strange way, which was to use outtakes of footage that they took out of the original Exorcist and have the whole film done as a flashback to an investigator. So basically like Hellraiser 2. Well, yeah, something. It was very weird, but they went in their own direction. And apparently John Borman was so upset by what he felt was a negativity of The Exorcist as a popular film that he tried to make a positive 
exorcism negativity film. of the exorcist as right. a popular film what do you mean by that he means that it was as as a exercise showing spirituality was far too dark and depressing and horrible so he tried to wait, do wait. He chose <laughs> to do the sequel to a movie that he didn't like. Exactly. Is what you're telling and me. What he did was make an incredibly goofy science fiction movie. It's not. Right. Yes, and there's Plagues of Locusts, and there's special well, hypnotic devices, devices to, to look into the brains of people who are, um, who are possessed. And it uh, was. I got through. What year book. was this made? This was. Early 80s, probably, right? No, no, late 70s. Late 70s, even. Mm. The Exorcist uh, is earlier than I think it is. I always think it's like right before I was born, but it was like longer ago. Right. But it's what, in essence, what he was trying to do was make a kind of uplifting science fiction parable sequel to a very intense, violent horror film. And it did not work at all. And just 20 minutes have no I just don't understand why they'd sign up a person who was anti-first movie to do second movie. I don't know. And that, that's, that's, a, that's actually a Did really Did he write question. it too? No, no. It was written by somebody else, although from what Linda Blair, because I, I read afterwards, like, why did this, why is this so bad? Did you watch it? I watched about 20 minutes to half an hour of it, and somewhere in there I just, you know, it, it was... Opted out? <laughs> well, Richard Burton is very obviously overdoing it in mm. every single scene he's in. Uh, Linda Blair, I mean, she's supposed to be 16 years old. She looks like an adult. There's some sort of, um, but it was just ridiculously hokey in the first few scenes where you're exploring the sort of supernatural element. What made The Exorcist work so well is that you're not expecting any what any of what happens to happen. And there's 1977. A very system, yeah, the same year as Star Wars. Oh, fun. Basically. Not basically, actually. Um, 73 was the original. 77 is this one. Right, and this film... Exorcist uh, 3, 1990. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, this killed the franchise. I think it was the first time that you'd seen... I don't feel like The Exorcist ever needed to be a franchise. I think... But the television show was so successful at continuing a story. And I think that being that you killed off all the main characters in the first film, there was other things that you could have done, like The Exorcist 3 is a really good story about two other priests tracking essentially a serial killer that's not a serial killer. It's very similar to... Um, Fallen. Fallen. I knew that you were going to say Fallen. Uh, although it has the creepiest nun in history. A possessed no. nun who creeps up walls and you know chases after people in the garden. I don't like a lady climbing on a wall. Uh, you know... That's yeah. unsettling. And there are moments in that film that... And it's done in such a subtle I way. I do like to see it, though, when it's not... It's always an Asian girl because crawling they're smaller. on a wall. Is that what it is? <laughs> That's it. They're lighter and it's easier for them to crawl up walls. Asian people can fly, according to Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. It dragging. just feels just very stereotypical off. to me. Right. But anyhow, that's... that's I'm, I've We've been talking for 17 minutes about The Exorcist and, and Japanese film. So, so, yes, we should probably... Welcome to Twin Peaks Talk. <laughs> How was my week? Thanks for asking. Yes, I'm asking now. No, you weren't. I was. You, I was. You didn't. We should ask about your week. How do you feel about Godzilla? I don't really care about Godzilla. Um, I'm sorry. It's not a slight. He's just not my jam. You'll be in my prayers. Um, if Godzilla could cross over with Pacific Rim, I'd be super on board. They tried. I know, and I think that they should keep trying. Right. The rights battles. Those are two worlds that need to be. Well, because together. I feel like 
Guillermo del Toro wrote Pacific Rim as a back door to getting into Godzilla. Well, the film is he dedicated. He calls them kaiju. Right. The film is dedicated <laughs> in the end. Uh, the final is dedicated to Ray Harryhausen mm-hmm. and Anishiro Honda, who created oh, okay. Godzilla, who, created so, Godzilla. who died very close to each other. Oh, sad. Which was a very bad year for me. Was that the same year as... No, it wasn't the same year as Christopher Lee. I hope not. Oh. I'm trying to remember because it was a bad year. <laughs> it's like the the... The Trinity. Right. <laughs> it's like, oh. I lost everything that year. <sighs> All right. So do you want to talk about some tw- Twin Peaks? Twin Peaks. Well, what about your week? Uh, my week consisted of being cold and baking pumpkin chocolate chip muffins like it was autumn again. Although, frankly, these are good and I could eat them anytime. They're very good. And working and planning to go out of town this weekend. I'm going to visit some people. Do, 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 do. It's going to be 10 degrees warmer. I'm very excited about it. (laughs) But yeah, that's it. Oh, also, thank you. If you're listening to this in the future, maybe, James, for uh, having a daughter who sells Girl Scout cookies. I had Girl Scout cookies shipped to us from Virginia. James is the co-host of a very good podcast called Unabashedly Obsessed, where they talk about things about which he and his friend Aaron are unabashedly obsessed. So wait, is Virginia her name? Or is it no, Virginia is the state that they live in. Okay. I'm not going to say his daughter's name. No, I just wondered if she knew if there was a Santa Claus. Oh, I don't know. Um, she's young enough, I believe, that she does know that there is a Santa Claus, okay. or at least believe in her heart. But I don't know. I don't know how James is is raising his daughter. But I've got some Samoas here on the table, and it's very exciting. I got to try Savannah Smiles for the first time. Apparently, they're going to be discontinued, so also for the last time, but they don't sell those in California. We get something called Lemonades. Wasn't that a film, Savannah Smiles? It sounds like a film. Or a book by that dude that writes, you know, the Kissing in the Rain movies. (laughs) Nicholas Sparks. You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Can't spark in the rain. Yes, Savannah Smiles was a movie. Huh. Is it a a rom-com? Sounds Um, like a rom-com. Possibly. Possibly. The daughter of a neglected politician who was consumed in the U.S. Senate campaign, she decides to escape hiding in the car of two men on the run from the law. Who is in it? Um, Let's see. And when was it made? It was made in 1982. No, jeez. Uh, Bridget Anderson, Donovan Scott, and Mark Miller. Three people I've never heard of. M-I-L-L-A-R or E-R? Miller with E-R. Yep, nope, don't know. Don't know any of those people. It's a heartfelt independent film. Is it? Aren't they all? Who directed it? Uh, Somebody heartfelt. Hmm. Who felt things with their heart. Uh, Pierre de Moro. I... I just remember that phone. How do you know about this movie uh, full of people that I've never heard of? Although, you know about a lot of people I've never heard of, to be fair. But we do have to get started on this Twin Peaks journey. So we watched episode 10, The Man Behind the Glass, season 2, episode 3. Would you please do us the honor of reading the Wikipedia synopsis? Blackie holds Audrey hostage and plots with Jean Renault. James and Madeline become close to Donna's dismay. Lucy lunches with Dick Tremaine. Let me say that name again. Dick Tremaine. Mm-hmm. 
This is my favorite new character. Dr. Jacoby undergoes hypnosis, leading to an arrest, and Nadine wakes from her coma a changed woman, possibly a superhuman woman. Donna finds a diary of Laura at Harold Smith's house. Well, that was a lot of editorializing that you just did. Yes, it was. Uh, that's a terrible, terrible synopsis. So let's yes, do better. That, that's why I editorialized. <laughs> so this episode first aired October 13th, 1990. So let's go to Twin Peaks. In and the, Oh, this episode was directed by Leslie Linka Glatter and written by Robert Engels. The episode's... This season's viewers have been pew, 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 dropping down. Yes. So first episode, 19.1 million. It was bonkers. And so the next episode, 14.4 million. So that's a 5 million person drop. That's a 25% drop in the uh, viewership. This episode, 13.7. So we're losing people at a pretty steady clip. Oh, I think people must have known that episode seven was when the mystery would be the solved. mystery would be solved because the next few episodes it goes twelve point eight, eleven point four, eleven point three, and then episode seven seventeen point two million. Wow. So, and then dropped right back down to thirteen. <laughs> so, people were not really having it with David Lynch's bananasness. You. I know, laughed your way pretty uh, steadily through this whole episode. I'm actually beginning to enjoy them more, starting with the strange episode last week. Yeah. Uh, with the you know veteran Western character and all the... Mm-hmm. It's beginning to grow on me in some way, which might mean I... But just... that was two weeks ago, oh, even. Uh, I think it was... was the one last week was the kidnapping of Audrey? Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. Last week, not a whole lot happened. Mm-hmm. We stayed at on several scenes for long periods of time. Um, this but it week, felt like it was actually more developed because we got to know the characters a little bit more, even yes. though it was very surreal. And Suddenly one of the characters has a singing career that we didn't know about. Oh, God. That scene was rough. So this episode, we open at the hospital, and Ronette is having some sort of fit. She's, like, convulsing violently, and she's thrashing against restraints that are trying to keep her calm. Uh, her IV has something in it. Somebody has put something in her IV and also a letter under her nail. Which ties her to the other crimes. It does. So it's the letter B from a piece of newsprint similar to the R under Laura's fingernail and the T under Teresa Banks's fingernail. And where do we learn that the newsprint comes from? We don't yet. Okay. It's a secret. It's a secret. The only piece of writing we've ever seen in this whole thing. Um, but we don't know that They're yet. They're not big readers in Twin no, Peaks. No, not big readers in Twin Peaks. So Cooper says that because the letters have never been released to the media, whatever media that is, and Flesh World maybe, that whoever did this to run that was definitely the killer. Because it's a piece of right. secret piece of information. Cooper unloads his heart to Harry and Albert and tells them, I think I've been visited by a giant for the last two nights, and he's giving me three clues, two of which have come true. And then Albert asks if there's any relation to the dwarf, which is a fair question. These are dream beings, for all we know. 
Um, well, again, the, the, to me, the, what was um, lovely about that scene was how Albert jumps into it. And he's standing literally shoulder to shoulder with Truman. Well, that's as because if he's representing a wall. Well, we learn later because <laughs> he takes the path of love. I'm pretty sure that Albert is doing a drug. He's he's on, maybe just one, <laughs> maybe many. Right. He's he's acting interesting in this episode. Interesting. And then we have Donna making the visit to Harold Smith, the um, man along the Meals on Wheels route um, that we were pseudo-introduced to last episode. Right. Well, we were were introduced to the idea that he existed. Right. And he wasn't This is the first time we meet him. Although... No, he was home. He just... He didn't answer the door. He's agoraphobic. He never lives Okay. Is that what it is? We don't know. Or, as far as we know, that's what he's telling... Oh, that's uh, true. That he doesn't leave his home. That's right. He stays there all the time growing orchids. That's right. So she goes over there and he offers her lemonade or saltines and apple butter. Or maybe she'd like to wash her hands. And I'm like, and she says no to all of that. And I'm like, I think he wants you to wash your hands. <laughs> like, I think that that was a request. Yeah, it wasn't very subtle. Harold says that he sent the letter to Donna for her to investigate Meals on Wheels because he's a shut-in and he can't go ever go outside. Um, he'd like to her to place a gra- a flower on Laura's grave. Um, he is he has like a a bunch of flowers in the living room and then like a sliding glass door to a greenhouse, basically. Like yeah, yeah. He's got like a greenhouse attached to his house so he can get to it without leaving. He describes himself as a mystery in Laura's life. And he goes out uh, to the greenhouse. Donna notices a slip of paper protruding out of the bookshelf. And she goes to pull it out. But he comes back and sort of interrupts her with an orchid um, that she would like, he would like to place on the grave. Um, I find this funny. I didn't realize that that's what... I thought he was giving her the no, flower. No, 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 but then... That's orchids I, are so temperamental. Right, I exactly. don't know why you, that would be what you... I mean, obviously, that's what he specializes in. Well, but he's he got a greenhouse. Right. Maybe. But uh, that's why I asked you at the time if you thought an orchid would survive in that oh, climate. Oh, no. Orchids are... They're lovely, but they are a chore. Like, you have right. to... Have like we couldn't have one in this house even. I don't think it's warm enough or humid enough. No. For and I'm sure that there are ones with different needs, but I'm pretty sure that they require warmth and wet. And it is not. It's wet, but it's cold. So um, and then Donna says uh, he, she takes the orchid and she, she says she'll be back, and he says he'll be here because you know he's not going anywhere. I would like to point out that Donna is acting like. Original Donna in this scene, not weird Donna, not cigarette smoky, sultry Donna, just plain right. high school student Donna. And I also I mentioned like that a, because later James right. is like complaining about this weird way that she was behaving, and I'm uh, like, she, what, she's who, not doing it now. <laughs> at least he's complaining that she wanted to sexually assault him through the bars of the. So it's like, like it. and I'm like, he's complaining. I, Mm, that's not who he likes, though, because he's 
He's a he's sweet, so soft boy. He's so emo. <laughs> So, so I also mm. want to point out mm-hmm. that Harold mm-hmm. is played by Oh yes, you know Lenny Mondolan. Lenny Lenny Mondolan. Oh, who funny. in the is one of the hardest working actors that he's everywhere. I did not recognize him, but to me he looks the spinning image of a tiny baby Sam Waterston. <laughs> well, like he, a super, like a 28-year-old Sam Waterston. He had a really good agent, I'm guessing, because he got a lot of work. Um, but on television, especially if you watched a lot of television, like I did when I was younger, um, he appe- appeared or made guest appearances on every significant television show. Miami Vice, uh, The Equalizer, 30-something. Look at all the shows that I've Picket never Fences. Seen. I was a child. Chicago Hope. It's just oh, like I did watch Chicago Hope. Every single, it's like he managed to make an appearance on every single major television show. He did any number of movies. He's one of those people where you go into that, they're like, why do I recognize him? Right, exactly. And then his IMDb thing is like 159 things long, and you're like, oh, because I've literally seen him in everything I've ever watched. Exactly, and so growing up, it's once. like, oh, that guy again. You know, <laughs> what's he doing? And I guess that he's going to be one of those actors who eventually there'll be a cult built around him because there are so many appearances. Did he have a David Lynch, like a lot of David Lynch stuff to his name? Firewalk uh, movie, I think. Oh, he's back in the movie. Well, that makes sense. I feel like he he may come back in this season. Right. I I don't know. I I know he's still around. He's still doing stuff. Well, because like the the old woman, his neighbor, Uh was in other Lynch things. So I just didn't know. And you know, Sorry, have like, a company. Um, okay, so then we're at the station, the, the police station, and Cooper is uh, standing in front of the blackboard with the letters I found under each girl's name and the name of the people who've under seen the long Under each girl's nail, you mean? Nail, I'm sorry, yes. Yeah. Each of the fingernails. And, um, <laughs> and, a, and a sad circle of people who have seen the long-haired man. So it's Maddie, who's seen her, him in a vision, we think. Mrs. Palmer, vision. Cooper, vision. Ronette, who's seen him in the train car. Um, and so he has all four of them, like, in a circle, and then he's just drawn a circle right. of chalk. Uh, this is not a sophisticated diagram. No, this it's is not. It's just a circle. Uh, Harry asks about the giant, and Albert dismisses it. Um, Albert reports that the cocaine found in James's gas tank matches the cocaine found in Jacques' car and Leo's house. In short, Leo framed James. Well, Leo didn't, but Leo's bag man did. The, oh, and then he says the letter B found under Ronette's finger was cut from edition of Flesh World. So this is where we find that out. And Albert has sent a picture of Bob to law enforcement agencies from NASA to the DEA, but this cat is, is in nobody's database. It was weird that he referred to him as a cat. Like, that was, it didn't seem character appropriate, but then nothing in the scene seems character appropriate to Albert. And then he says, oh, and the gun you were shot by was a Walther PPK, right. to which you said, that's James Bond's gun. And then he said... That's James Bond's gun. <laughs> so, um, and then on his way out, Albert insults Harry once again. And Harry grabs Albert's collar and says the last time he punched Albert, he felt sorry about it. But the next time will be a real pleasure. 
Albert then tells Truman that, this is going to be a quote, he admits to a certain cynicism, the fact is I'm a naysayer and a hatchet man in the fight against violence, and I pride myself on taking a punch and I'll gladly take another one because I consider myself to be in the company of Gandhi and King. My concerns are global. I reject revenge and retaliation. Absolutely. The foundation of such, method, such a method is love. I love you, Sheriff Truman. A stunned Harry lets Albert walk away. And then Cooper just says, Albert's path is a strange and difficult one. So and this is how the first part... What happened? I, Does, is Albert saying that like he's got nascent feelings for Truman and he can't no, handle he's it? What is he saying? A world of love like Dr. King or Gandhi. All beings deserve respect and love. That's what I'm guessing is going on. But what made this change? Because a minute ago he thought everybody was a rube and could suck it. Excuse me. It <laughs> <laughs> was good that you caught right there. That was a good piece of self censoring. I think that I don't know that it's a inconsistent with the rest of his character like he has some incredibly complicated spiritual path he's enacting but he's basically a jerk and yeah that fundamentally was, right. real dick also i would does he just understand i understand if you need to punch me mm. but i'm going to be better than you but what i love about the scene is how aggressively he grabs he Truman. Gr- like grabs his like he's about like, to headbutt him his shirt <laughs> and then it's says that he walks the i love you the what is Happening. Yes, I believe that he is. In. It was funny though. I think I laughed even in that scene. <laughs> that was so weird. I liked it. And then we go out to the waiting room, and Cooper says, "James, you can go home." It wasn't, you know, you were set up, and he's like, "Uh, I've super been trying to tell you that." Oh, but, and, but every James. time James gets half a sentence out, Cooper or Truman is like, "Kid, shut up. We don't want to hear <laughs> from you. You need to just go." And in the meantime, Lucy is writing a bunch of words down with the letters B, T, and R in them. Using Scrabble tiles. Is that what she... She's yeah. got Scrabble tiles out? Um, so she's up to like 77. And I'm like, there are thousands of words with B, T, and R in them. Two of those are the most used letters. I only know that because... Sometimes I watch America's Game. We and this is uh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of dicks. Ugh. And then a, a dandy-like British gentleman comes. Richard Tremaine, Dick Tremaine. Is that, was that the lady's last name? No. The old woman's last name was something else. Um, is the, from men's designer fashions at Horn's Department door comes to pick up um lucy for lunch they'll go dutch he says i'm like oh this guy's the best why do i know this dude i i don't know why you know him um do you remember his name i don't remember the actor's name i'm looking it up really he is the character i really enjoyed him because he's he's like literally the worst so obviously a heel there's no two ways about it He's been on literally every soap opera. I, w- I went to his Wikipedia page. General Hospital, Port Charles, The Bold and the Beautiful, All My Children, and Days of Our Lives. Mm-hmm. I think that's it. I think that's all of them. That must be where he picked up his, um, his persona. Um, I am just, I'm like scanning to see why I know 
him. Oh, he's been in an episode of um, Quantum Leap. Today's word charmed. is oleaginous. Oleaginous. Mm-hmm. That sounds gross. It means excreting or producing oil, oil or grease. Yeah, yeah. That's he's got. The word. He's got. Is it a cravat that's happening? Yes. Or and like a just a ruffly scarf. <laughs> he um, he's a person who wears his jacket without his arms going through the armholes, just rested upon his shoulders. Upon. Um, upon. upon. Definitely got some product in that hair. Right. Yeah, they're gonna go. They're gonna go to lunch, and we'll we'll meet back up with them. And we feel very bad for Lucy. I feel very bad for Lucy. Well, I, she I, like Shelley has made some not great choices in the man department. He, he just, I enjoyed it because he was so artificial and just so vulgar. He's I, yeah. I like the kind of. I wanted there to be a pencil mustache. There wasn't. I don't <laughs> think that... There yeah. might have been too much. I think the mustache was suggested. Um, yes, with the phrase, <laughs> we'll go Dutch. Right. Um, but I like this sort of vague hint of the Ronald Coleman accent. And it, I don't know what that means. Ronald Coleman is an English actor who is the highest... Well, he's a Scottish act. Like, right. he's of Scottish... Dis- not of Scottish descent. He is from Scotland. Right. So that might just be but his he, accent. Ronald Coleman was a matinee idol back in the day. Oh. He had a very very um, distinctive English accent. And uh, and it's funny how often, as a matter of fact, Mystery Man, what's his name? Ben Storr. No, uh, the character who plays the Blue Raja, Hank Azaria, I think. He uh, is doing a Ronald Coleman accent all through. That's mm, his character. Mm. He's doing Ronald Coleman. Um, I think he says, does yeah, he kind of says say that? Point, you're doing Ronald Coleman. Yeah. And there's a lot of that. It's, it's a very distinctive voice. Okay, so then Leland gets, uh, comes into the station. So before we go on their date, we have Leland coming in, talking to Trooper about the picture. Er, Trooper. Truman. <laughs> Truman and Cooper. They're Trooper. They're Trooper. About the picture of Bob that he saw. And he says he knew him, that when he was a little boy, his grandfather had a summer home up at Pearl Lake. Bob was his neighbor. He thinks his name was Robertson, and... Which fits all the letters. Yes, of course it does, along with many other words. And then he says he used to flick matches at him, and he, like, lights a match, and he throws it with a perfect throw into the little um, ashtray, standing ashtray in the middle of the police station, so this is another time, and says, do you want to play with fire, little boy? And Cooper's like, that's our dude, Go figure out who has this house up at Pearl Lake. And so Hawk heads out to do some actual police work. And then Lucy and Dick are on a date. They're at the diner because apparently that's the only place in town to eat a food. And Richard is talking about his method for memorizing custom orders that makes literally zero sense. And... Lucy is super bored and then asks why he hasn't called her because they dated every Thursday they went out for three months. And then that last time that they saw each other, they consumed two bottles of champagne and ended up on a display bed in Horn's Home Furnishings. And she's like, I would think that that would at least get a call back. And he's like, I lost your number, baby. And she's like, you could call 911 and you would get me. So (laughs) that's some bullshit. And 
he's like, well, I'll still get you that dress I promised you at my with my 20% discount. This dude is super cheap. And Lucy stands up and says, yeah, how about a maternity dress? And see. And he has nothing to say to that. Well, there's, there's nothing to say to that, obviously. Nope. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not good. You, you have two people who should have won the Darwin Awards. And they've just... Yeah, made. neither of them should have kids. And, right. And yet... And I know that this baby is going to be raised by Andy, so... And then we are... We, oh, James and Maddie are also at the double R. So we kind of veer over, like, pan over to their booth. James is asking Maddie about if she's noticed anything weird about Donna, like her smoking and her sultriness. Which I think, frankly, is an improvement. And Maddie reaches out to hold James's hand because she's still sort of a little bit enamored of him after the singing and the googly eyes. And, of course, Donna walks in while Maddie is holding his hand, and then she's super mad. And she describes Harold in really flattering terms at that point. She does. She says he's nice and charming and unlike anyone she knows. <laughs> so take that, James. And James asks, what is that supposed to mean? And then Donna, as a, as a teenager, Will says, why don't you hold hands and figure it out? And then, storm, storm, storm. And then she runs away. Quick reminder, these are high school kids. They may look like they're in their mid-twenties, but they are high school I kids. I, I actually really respect that you no longer do this. That you no longer have high school kids played by people in their late twenties. Incorrect. I don't see that. Well, I mean, Should I get the ages of the Riverdale cast up on my... I, I don't think that Riverdale is a real television program. I believe it's a figment of your imagination. Ooh, I'm going to have to... Force you to watch it, maybe. No, no, no. I've shared that delusion with you once or mm. twice. So I think it still happens. I think it happens less. One of my favorite things is that Chloe, Chloe Grace Moretz uh-huh. plays teenagers and is still like now. I think she's just 18 right. now. Um, but she's been a teenager for a very long time and she's been playing a teen for all of that time. <laughs> So they got her in when she was like 12 or something and had her play teenagers right. through her teenhood. But I also understand that's super hard. She's one of those people hard. who, like um, Jennifer Connelly, I lost track of her. The first time I saw her, she was 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And I saw her well, all Chloe has been in growing up. stuff pretty right. consistently. So, and will probably and continue deserves to, to be. be. She's very good. She's very good. Then we're over at One-Eyed Jack's, and Audrey is having a hell of a time. Blackie and Emery have her bound and gagged. Emery records a video of her to use to hold Audrey for ransom. Now, my initial thought here was, this is your boss's daughter. Right. Do you not want your job? I mean, clearly, no, they don't. Uh, they're fighting over whether their plan will work, and uh, Emery thinks they should kill her since she knows that her father owns the place and he sent Laura up there. Blackie decides to just pump her full of heroin, just like her dad did. So my guess is Blackie wants freedom and money. And they don't, I don't know if it's here, but at some point, Emery is like, I want to keep my job. And I'm like, dude, it's not an option at this yeah. point. At the station house, the one-armed man and traveling shoe salesman is there showing uh, Truman some shoes. Showing him a selection of boots, and he keeps showing him these, like, this is great for this particular thing, and this is great for this particular thing. And Harry's like, uh, I need, like, something in my price range that I can wear, like, all of the time. 
then all of a sudden he sees a picture. It's the same poster of the Have You Seen This Man of Bob. And he, like, starts wigging out. I don't know. He says, like, he, he starts going fuzzy and he asks to be excused so he can take his medication uh, in the bathroom. Now, was that actual medication? What was the syringe he's trying to use? Unclear. Okay. He's fumbling around with a syringe in the stall in the bathroom. In the leg. Right. But he can't. He, like, loses the syringe and sort of tumbles over, kind right. of. In, inside the stall, so it's very awkward. The scene almost seems to be played for laughs, which is, there's a I weird I can't laugh tone. at a person in a bathroom stall trying to inject themselves well, with a thing. Like, that's not funny to me in 98% I mean is, of circumstances. It's played for laughs in a really weird la- way. Weird. Because we cut out to the outside of the, the uh, bathroom stall, and you're just hearing a bunch of banging around where he's obviously right. thrashing well, in there. First, we kind of go up above the stall, like a bird's mm. eye view. Right. Um, and then he seems to like change, like be taken over, like it's a Jekyll and Hyde type right. situation. And I, I don't know if even the, the act of injecting himself in the leg, because what he only has one arm, so he can't shoot himself in the other arm. Right. So it, it seems to be played at this pitch it where it's meant to, to be yes, funny. Yes, yes, I think so, but I don't. I know, and it's horrible. It's and not, it's very similar to the scene where uh, Leland is dancing. Oh uh, yeah. And grieving, and then everyone's mocking him and turning it into a new dance. There seems that. I'm not sure where he's going with it, and I'm thinking this is really not questionable taste, taste yeah. right? And so his voice changes, and he comes out of the stall, not having not injected himself to the to what I can tell, and um, he says, "Bob, I know you're near. I'm after you now." So Bob's near, and he's after him. He's his nemesis. I don't know. Shelly um, comes into the station to be questioned finally, and she's just like, I'm not going to speak against my husband. I love him. Don't take him. I love him. I know my rights. He's my husband. I don't have to say anything. They're like, well, I mean, fine, I guess. And then Cooper's like, that's fine. You can go. Um, This smells like insurance fraud, uh, and it's unlikely that she came up with it herself. But he doesn't, I don't think, know that it's Bobby that's sort of pulling her strings. Cooper then meets Ben Horn in the lobby of the Great Northern to talk to him about Audrey's disappearance and, and the phone call last night. Complete lack of concern. Yeah, he's completely, yeah. Ben, like, smugly tells Cooper that men fob, fall for Audrey's charms and have you been, have you taken an unhealthy interest in my daughter and... Men fall for Audrey's charms like ducks in a shooting gallery, and if you don't want a loaded buckshot in your tail feathers, you better park your jalopy outside someone else's window. Damn, dude. <laughs> so many metaphors. So many. And <sighs> here's the part that I don't understand. What gives you the security to threaten a federal agent? Oh, dollars? I, mean, I think dollars. Like, you think that's Also, I'm it. pretty sure cocaine. Right. Dollars and cocaine get you that. <laughs> Then we go back to One-Eyed Jacks, and Audrey is lying on the bed, and she is super high. Like, she's super out of it. Right. And um, there's a mysterious man with a French accent. Ooh um, la la. Probably the, the, the most overpronounced French it's, accent. I've ever it's heard. a lot. Oui, oui. And he pulls That's a cargo. veil across her face and gives her a caramel, um, saying, sugar's what you need. As she goes to be, begins to go into heroin withdrawal. I don't think that's true. 
I think she's just coming out of her fucking high. I don't think she gets to go into withdrawal after her first time on heroin. But um, So she's coming out of her high, uh, coming down, and he gives her another shot. Blackie is playing a surveillance tape of Cooper at the casino a few nights before, and Battis recognizes him as FBI, and he's like, we're fucked, we're super fucked. <laughs> like, like, yeah, dude. I knew this last time I saw you in a scene where you just wanted to keep your damn job. Nah, you need to make out of this with money and maybe a passport with somebody else's name on it because you are indeed fucked. You're in Canada right now, so that's good for you, I guess. Well, that's bad enough. The mysterious French man walks in, and it's Jean Reno, mm -hmm. who is Jacques and Bernard's brother, played by Michael Parks. Exactly. You said it was Michael Parks, and I said... Like Red State Michael Parks? <laughs> like the Kevin Smith end of life Michael Parks? Like the Michael Parks who just passed away? Yes, that Michael Parks. Kevin Smith was doing, I think, for Michael Parks what someone like um, Quentin Tarantino did for... Travolta. Well, not just that. Other actors to Robert pa uh, Foster and a bunch of others where he just found this guy who had had a really uneven career of ups and downs. But and just was a, amazing. Was amazing. Yeah. I didn't recognize him. He was uh, much bigger in stature than when I was familiar with his work. Because I only know him from his late in life stuff. But you recognized him right away. And right. I was like, oh, he's so good. I hate this accent. <laughs> yes, the accent I get is it, way but, it. Um, Yeah. So he's pissed because he's lost two of his brothers. He's got a woman with him who's his wife. Her name is Nancy, and that's Blackie's sister. sister. You, you can tell because they have an equal amount of hair product and volume going on. It, yeah. But, it, I mean, Nancy looks like she's really being doted on, and really? Blackie looks like she's really working. Jean says that he will be the middleman for Audrey's ransom, so Ben will never know that Blackie and Emery are behind it. Um, in exchange, Emery and Blackie will bring him the man he considers... Responsible for his brother's death, brother's death, brothers. Dale Cooper. Can be. Then Cooper uh, comes into Truman's office with coffee and donuts, um, and Harry tells Cooper that Josie uh, finally called Pete, and she'll be back the next day, and Harry's like, can I see her first? Can I talk to her first? Because, like, she got some splaining to do. I'm wondering if there was a movie that Joan Chen was doing at this time because oh, she maybe. just steps she out, just, like, steps completely out of the story at being one of the main characters and then steps right back in. I'm trying to think. Has she, we haven't seen her. I don't believe we've seen her this season. This season. No. Her or Piper Laurie. Which I found another interesting fact is that originally she was going to be Italian and played by Isabella Rossellini. I told you that last week. I think that's not an interesting fact at all. That's something you told me last week. I mean, I didn't, not on this, but I, I told you that. Right. Yes, that was an piece of information. Yes. Well, she was dating David Lynch, I think, or I think so, yeah. Isabella was. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I like that colorblind casting, though. Yeah. Well, they were like, oh, we didn't get the white lady, so we can make it any person. Cooper says that this is probably a terrible idea, but yeah, go ahead and talk to your lady. Truman is like, uh, have you seen Phil? He went to the bathroom and never came back. <laughs> I don't know how long it's been. I assume Here's that it's been like an hour and a half. Interactions you get in Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks. Truman is looking through a variety of shoes, 
right? Right. The shoe salesman has to go to the bathroom and never comes and back. Never comes back. And Truman does not go to the bathroom to look nope. for him. He just walks away and goes on about his business. Yeah, he's like, well, hey, a, did you see him? And they're su- like, he's right. here? Someone who's in the office with a full supply of shoes just sitting there that this man hasn't picked up. It's very strange. It's not a full supply of shoes. It's only righties. He yeah, only but has I, one shoe. And there's a lot of cat. inventory sitting there. Yes. Yeah. And it reminds me in a lot of ways. And of who knows how long. <laughs> the reason that there. you had issues with uh, a TV show that I love, The Avengers, uh, with Patrick Winnie and Diana Rigg, mm-hmm. and your issue was mostly that once they solve a crime, they just sort of walk away, and there's no police coming to get the criminals. There's no, no, they just sort of, oh, he solved the mystery, and then they walk I'm off. I'm pretty sure that's how the Scooby Doo worked, too. Well, at the end, there was always a cop showing up. Oh, there was. That's right. That's true. The cops were involved. So it's one of those kind of things where the interactions are very odd. Like, okay, he didn't come back. I guess it's time to go back to work. Maybe he's dead. I don't know. So they decide to all go to the bathroom together (laughs) to um, uh, try and find the one-armed man. And uh, they search the bathroom. He's not there. He's gone. Mm -hmm. And, but they do find his discarded needle and the medicine on the ground. And then Cooper says, without chemicals, he points, which is the giant's third clue. Right. Now, he had said earlier that two of the clues had come true, but really three of the clues. Yeah. Or he had said one of the clues had come true, which was the smiling bag. And then, but the owl clue had come true with Major Briggs's SETI alien right. word search thing. And now this is the third one. And there's another example of a character who has like a almost a 180 over the, the course of the new season. Who? Uh, Major. Yeah. In that he seems very different. Is filled with love, and maybe love is just overtaking everyone in Twin Peaks. Maybe. Maybe that's what this and whole thing is. And the hard cases first, Albert and the Major. <laughs> and then we are at the hospital again, and. The orderlies are um, restraining Nadine with big cuffs to her bed. Uh, Hay- Dr. Hayward tells Ed that she whipped through two pairs of leather, leather restraints the night before. And we've seen her crazy She-Hulk strength right. with the rowing machine. Um, that her adrenaline levels are like super high. And he tells Ed to talk or sing to her, maybe an old song that she likes. And Ed is like... Uh, I don't know what you'd want to hear, but he starts singing on top of Old Smokey, which I forgot was a real song. So when he started singing it, I really thought meatballs were coming in. All covered with cheese, rolled off the table and onto the floor. I was like, I don't think that's a song she wants to sing. And then he started singing the real words, and I was like, oh, right. (laughs) (laughs) This is an actual song. Um, Nadine grips his hand, like, full, like, grips his, like, to the point where it looks like he's like, Oh, I might have broken fingers when this is done. And she sits up and, like, flexes and breaks the cuffs off of the bed and claps her hands over and over again and begins a cheer. And then wakes up, like, opens her eye. I say eye because she's still got right. an eye patch on. Madame and she says, are you here to pick me up, Eddie? Doc Hayward says tonsillitis or no tonsillitis. I can make it to cheer tryouts. You're only 18 once. So, so it's safe to say that she believes that she's 18. Yeah. All right. Which means Eddie might be free and clear. So he she could just is leave this woman. Superhuman. She does not remember that they are married. One eye. She does not remember that her eye has been shot out by right. this man. 
Well, she must notice something like her depth perception. That's not I cool. wondered that's about that. Thing. Yeah. And also, from the stories that we'd heard about her before, uh-huh. about how shy she was, the fact that when she was 18, she tried out for cheer doesn't make sense to me. But clearly, this I mean, I assume that this is a recollection rather than a whole cloth new Possibly. personality. I think the thing is that she probably is, does believe that she's back in high school and the bell of the ball. Right. But she wasn't. That's the thing. Yes, that's it. That's a, that, that I don't think it's an accurate... I mean, that's like me waking up and being like, are you ready to take me to tryouts? Hey, guess what, guys? I was right. not a cheerleader. I, I, I was always a smoldering outcast. That was just me. Smoldering. <laughs> now it's gone out. <laughs> just like the ashes. Cooper and Harry enter Jacoby's room at the hospital, and there are candles everywhere, mm-hmm. and there's a lovely Hawaiian woman rubbing his feet, and I'm like, this is inappropriate, and then we find out this is his wife, his lovely young Hawaiian wife who lives at their house Still in Hawaii. Apparently, he's got a house in Hawaii. If you have a house in Hawaii and a wife in Hawaii, why do you have anything in Twin Peaks? Like, people need therapy in Hawaii, too. I don't... Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe they don't. Maybe Hawaii is therapy. Cooper says, are you ready to be hypnotized? And he goes to hypnotize Jacoby. And Jacoby's like, oh, yeah, I've done this many times before. Cooper hypnotizes Jacoby while trying not to hypnotize Truman. He remembers the smell of scorched engine oil at the park and the hospital and realizes he knows the face of the murderer. Cut. We don't get to find out who, ever. We do eventually, and it's a whopper. Um, as an owl hovers above the graveyard at night, Donna brings Harold's orchid to Laura's grave. And Donna sits and talks to Laura about her new relationship with James. Says she probably already knew that they felt that way. Um, How could you be so smart about stuff like that and so stupid about so much else? She says she loves James, but it's a mess. And the more she talks to Laura, the angrier she gets. And she says, we're always trying to solve your problems, Laura. And you know what? We still are. You might be dead, but your problems keep hanging around. It's almost like they didn't bury you deep enough. Damn, Which, Donna, yeah, you is, might need some therapy, girl. I like the fact that she's fighting back because Donna's, excuse me, uh, Laura seems to be taking over Donna's personality. Laura does seem to be taking, but also her friend was like uh, brutally raped and murdered. Well, but she also, uh, this is not, uh, I know that sounds like I'm shaming. She put herself in that position through constantly manipulating and consorting with she an did. element she, that was But also, she may have been an addict, and she clearly had some issues, and Dr. Jacoby's right. a terrible therapist. So it's, yeah. We'll, we won't victim blame, but she no. did put herself in some right. situations. So James and... And I think that that's what Donna is having an issue with, is the fact that you created these situations that right. now everyone's entangled. Everyone's it's entangled. like when you get mad at somebody who's killed themselves. Right. It's that, it, and she's also going through, you know, are there grief stages? Some people say yes, some people say no. If there are, she's in anger. Right. Um, James goes to visit Maddie at the Palmer house um, because he can't find Donna and that his mom came home drunk. They almost kiss and they hold each other. They're hugging. Hug, hug, hug. And then Donna comes over. Of course yeah, she I have a, a question about that. Mm. Do you think that he's attracted to her because she's a genteel soul and he's evil? 
Or is he attracted to her because she reminds him of Laura? Yes. Thank you. I think that James wants a genteel soul very much like Donna and was physically attracted to Laura. So Maddie is like the perfect in-between. She's got Laura's face and Donna's added, like, calmness. She's not, you know. And so Donna storms off. James chases after her. And then Maddie cries to Leland because she's like, I don't even know Laura and I'm all in the middle of her junk. And I'm like, why are you? You could go, you're like from somewhere else? Presumably you have school because I'm pretty sure you're still a kid too. Why are you still here? You came to go to your cousin's funeral. You did. Bye. Like, I don't know why. Why is she still here? Because, yes, she's like, everybody is putting all of Laura's stuff onto me, and I didn't even know Laura that well, and they don't know me. And I'm like, no, they don't know you. But you look like Laura, and these are Laura's friends. What do you expect? You can't expect anything different. It's frustrating. Maddie, get on a plane. (laughs) I bet there's Greyhound. Well, she also does, like, she's the exact opposite of Laura in that she's, this is going to sound cruel, she's kind of, the impression I get of her character is that she's docile and not too bright because she keeps getting pulled into these schemes all the time. Right. And and she just because goes along Because I think she just wants them. these people to like her. Right, but exactly. I don't know why. Like, what is so she, bad about your life back home that you have decided you would rather be here be. in Laura's life but then get you get mad about being in Laura's life. Right. Like, mm. And it's almost as if she wants to reap the reward of Laura's outgoing personality without actually having to be that person. Mm. But yeah, I just can't sort of get my head around her because she is very docile. And you want her to stand up and take action for herself instead of just going along. You know, she's after somebody else's boyfriend because it's less work and they're hanging around I all the time. I don't think yeah. that that's it. But I do think that they are. she, he, she is drawn to the emo-ness of, uh, of James. But... So Leland's comforting her because yeah. Leland, after killing Jacques, he's like on the top of the fucking world. He's woke up. And then Cooper and Harry come in. They're like, uh, the door was open. I'm like, I didn't hear you knock, but okay. And they arrest Leland for the murder of Jacques Renault. Uh, so then are we to believe that that's also who whacked the shit out of... Well, because he says he smelled... Um, scorched oil. Scorched oil also... That's something we didn't cover in the hospital. He, smelled, he said he smelled it in the park as well. Yeah. No, I said so, that. Yeah. Oh, did you? Mm-hmm. I'm sorry I lost track of which so, version so of this. So he whacked, he whacked the doctor uh-huh. in the park, and he mushed Jacques Renault, mushed. which we knew, because mm-hmm. we saw his face. <laughs> so we knew that. Um, and then in the middle of the night, Donna is crying and goes to Harold's house. Now... She's known this man for all the five minutes, literally. Right. Like, I'm not... This might she's be the known reason this why she gets into minutes. lots of trouble. She's not um, very discerning or discriminating. Well, and nobody seems to really take any danger. Ben Horn, sort of oblivious to any danger that might come to Audrey, does not know that his own employees have taken her hostage. Right. Um, but... Oh, she runs off all the time. She'll come back. Well, yeah, except Laura runs off all the time, too, and she is not coming back. So uh, nobody knows who this murderer is. 
it's a recent situation. Why are all these young women just going to strange men's homes in the middle of the night? Like, And he doesn't make the connection with his own place of business either. No. Which, yeah, he doesn't seem to understand that the people coming from his perfume counter are being channeled into... Or yep. he does. Or he, he doesn't know that. his daughter's there. Though. He doesn't know his daughter's there. Uh, no, because she covered her face with a cat mask. No, no, not, not <laughs> just that, but I mean, she doesn't, he, he does not know that his daughter was at the perfume counter. Oh, right, because she... She forced her way into Forced her way in, yeah. So, so we were at Donna's, or we're at Harold's with Donna, and she's crying to him. And she's like, I'm tired of being patient with James. And he's like, probably, I don't, who the fuck is James? Like, yeah. I don't know you. I don't know you, lady. <laughs> we met earlier today. Um, Harold comforts her and gets her, goes to get her a drink. Donna finds and opens a notebook, and the front cover reads, This is the diary of Laura Palmer. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, you don't know you. Uh, and that's the end. Um, and so this is a different diary than the diary that the police found. So she's a prolific writer. It's because those tiny lock diaries are so small. There's not enough room to write all of your, your sins in. <laughs> Especially Laura. Now, mind you, I'm wondering if this is a connection to the secret diary of Laura Palmer that was published as a book. I was just going to say. And distributed, because I remember... Fans who had read the recently right. published Secret Diary of Laura Palmer had actually been introduced to this character some weeks earlier. It was a neat idea to actually have a book so that people can look for more clues. Um, and I remember that it was actually sold fairly well when I was a bookseller back then, back in the day. This is the second episode directed by Leslie Linka Gladder. The first being Laura's funeral episode, where Leland's doing a lot of work. Um, and she directs three more episodes. When James describes to Maddie that his mom came home all drunk and they had a confrontation, that scene was actually filmed and would have introduced the character of James's mother, which would be Ed's sister. Mm-hmm. Um, it got cut. It, and the footage remains lost to this day. Oh. Dun, dun, dun. So somewhere, yeah, there we go again. <laughs> Three no motif. So now we've just got to figure out who this Bob character is. Well, Bob obviously yeah. is not an actual living person. Bob is some sort of, he might have been. And that's the suggestion now. Is that that's the thing. He seems Leland to remembers be him. Rem- like recognizable from when Leland was a kid. Right. And so Leland's what? E- easy. We'll, we'll put him at 45. Yeah. And he remembers him when, from when he was a kid. Right. So 35 years ago, say. Which makes it seem that Bob um, could be a ghost. I mean, it's, not, um, it's not out of keeping with giants from outer space, uh, midgets who talk backwards. Um, yeah, this is a whole universe of strange things. I don't know. It completely lost you, didn't it? It didn't. I mean, I enjoyed watching it. Right. But yeah, we're traveling down that path of, hey, here's a setup and a premise, and hey, you know how there were rules? Nope, there are no rules. Right. Suck it. It makes me sad and upset. I did like Miguel Ferrer in this episode very much. I liked Albert's he, whole deal. He's a great. He was sadly. Yeah. He was a great, great character actor who was able to pull weird performances in the strangest films. He was watchable. 
Um, there's a, a film that I'm trying to catch up with, Night Flyer, which was an adaptation of Stephen King. Stephen King, King yeah. And he's been in a bunch of Stephen King stuff then. Apparently he well, was... Well, at least two, because he was in The Stand, too, and he was right. real good. He, uh, I remember watching it once and being really impressed by him as a lead. And it's sad that he didn't get to do more of that, because he was playing a character who, by turns, was really kind of unlikable and very intense. Yeah, he did unlikable really oh, well. Robocop. He I've played, never seen Robocop. He played, well, Robocop is a little more violent than I like. It's them. pretty violent. It's, so that's um, my understanding. It's kind of meaninglessly violent. And like a lot of violent things happen. For I thought it was, um, but it's satire, right? Like, right. Um, it's, it's like Starship Troopers. Starship which is Troopers, Paul yeah, Verhoeven's that's exactly. kind of big science fiction film. Oh, was that the same director? Same director. Oh, god damn, um, I didn't even know. But, um, hmm. And there's a lot of really funny bits. The, the commercials, the television commercials that are constantly being interrupted mm-hmm. with the worst possible values in them. Those are great. Is that, this is Robocop you're talking about? Uh-huh. Okay, because they, they do that in the, right. in Starship Troopers too. So he's sort of interstitials that yeah. promote really, but um, Miguel Ferrer was really, really good in Robocop, but playing like a very reprehensible person. Yeah. Um, he, he does didn't. that really well, in a, and he, he can walk a line where you're like, fuck that guy, but I definitely want to keep watching him. Right, he's very watchable. Because sometimes, if that's done badly, I'm like, fuck that guy, I don't want to watch this anymore. Well, that's kind of the problem, because when a person becomes successful, and I've had this problem, I think I told you, with Kristen Stewart and mm. with uh, Reese Witherspoon, is that you'll be watching them, and they're doing a performance that you can't stop watching. Mm-hmm. And then they become mainstream. Mm-hmm. And suddenly Miguel Ferrer is doing Will and Grace. And I'm sure he's funny in it. Miguel Ferrer was in Will and Grace? Yeah. Oh, yep. No, one episode of Will and Grace. Okay, but... Okay. So I just don't recall that. What I mean by that is that they wind up playing these sort of ordinary people or doing sort of mainstream performances. You just want to see them be strange. Well, you can't be strange all the time because no. then you get... You turn into Christopher Walken and are only asked to do Christopher Walken. Right. Um, which is a shame because it, he has more of a range than that, but right. that's what he's hired for. I see you, Al Pacino. I see you, Christopher Walken. <laughs> I see you, Nick Cage. Which is a shame because Al Pacino used to do a lot of stuff and now he's doing all this. Al Pacino was actually considered, uh, when Franco Zeffirelli was casting Jesus of Nazareth, he wanted to go with Al Pacino or Dustin Hoffman. Oh, I love when they're... When people play the devil and also Jesus or a priest. That was Max von Sydow. He played and Jesus. Also, and who was the other person that I was thinking of? So did uh, Bela Lugosi did it at some point um, in his career, or he played Dracula and he played Jesus. Dracula and Jesus. Dracula right. and the devil are different. But, right. No, but <laughs> um, you know, uh, he was playing Michael Corleone in The Godfather. He was uh, playing. I have not seen anything. All sorts of different stuff, and then now he's hired to yell into the camera to be the devil's advocate. Scream all the time. Yes, yeah. that's, that's what he does. There's a great uh, Mad TV skit where he's at a he's at Al Pacino at a Baskin Robbins, and he can't choose, so he who just goes is? on this rant about so many flavors, so many choices. <laughs> who, who does him? You know, I don't remember. It was great, though. It was a great skit. You like Matt TV a lot. I did, um, yeah, way back when. And I haven't, I know the program's been off. I didn't see the last couple of years, maybe. But there was a period of time when I would stay up. This is how we unwound. I never got into Matt TV. 
I've seen pieces of it uh. that I thought were funny, but then I've seen pieces of it where I'm like, I think this might be too offensive. I think I, a lot of it would not play anymore. <laughs> no. And I think that's, that that's right. That's for damn sure. Is that the end of our talk? Mm-hmm. Our Twin Peaks talk? I think so. I think it's as far as we can go. I don't know who the criminal is. No, uh, it's Bob. What okay, is Bob? I know who it is. I don't know what it is. That's where I'm at. He's a ghost. A ghost. Boo. Because that, that would explain everything. Mm. I don't know. He's not playing fair. But this was a fun episode to watch. Right, it was. But I'm like, could we just get to the reveal, please? The like, I'm, I'm feeling, I'm starting to get lynch fatigue. Fortunately, I still care about some of these characters, but like, some of them are making it real. Like Donna, uh, you're making it real hard for me to follow you well, here. I don't know what's going on anymore because Josie dropped out. Um, we get very little story of uh, what's my guess name? is Josie will be back to running the, the diner next episode. Uh, oh, Norma, yeah, Norma uh, and Hank. Right, that storyline got completely dropped, and maybe that's the reason why. I feel there were too many characters to start with. There, I think that's right. And so they're whittling away and sort of getting rid of storylines so they can make room for other storylines. Yeah. And but the um, least they could do is give us a wrap-up, which I think is probably why episodes uh, 8 through 21 or whatever of this season exist. Right. To give you some closure. But, yeah, I'm curious... Because we have major characters who just walked off. We don't know if they're dead or alive. Right. And at one point we had three people in a coma, which is like the most overused trope. Where is Piper? Yeah, Piper just walked off. That's what I mean. She Mm. walked off and we have no idea where she is. We've been told to expect the worst. But I'm like, but Shelly got out. If Shelly got out, there's no reason that she didn't get out. Ugh. But My eye like is twitching. Piper... And I <coughs> want to know if Cooper stays in the show after episode seven or eight. I think it does. Why? Think, For what? Because um, even if you saw the mystery of Laura Palmer, um, there's still all sorts of stuff going on with the Bookhouse Boys, and they're tracing the drug trade. I guess over over. Um, it's across state lines, right, so state that lines. maybe well, although but it's across too. state lines out of the country, so yeah. maybe we need the CIA. Not the FBI. We're going to get Dale Cooper's twin brother from the CIA with his assistant, I don't know, what's not Diane, is Barbara. Is this where they were going to do the, the, the uh, crossover with the X-Files? Oh, that'd be awesome. There well, was supposed to be one. There was also supposed to be a, a crossover of Picket Fences. And where did Picket Fences X-Files. take place? Oh, Picket Fences and the X-Files. Yeah. That makes more sense because they could go anywhere. Right. This and picket fences doesn't make sense no. because they are and they were co- separated by time. Areas. I think it was supposed to be the characters. There was supposed to be some connection because you know, of course. Twin well, Peaks gone do you know if Twin Peaks is coming back for a fourth season? Are they doing another? They did another. They did the third one last year. Are they doing another one? Because if I they are, they could cross it over with the X Files because right. that's running now too. Don't know if that's good. It's just sitting on our DVR because yeah, I have heard not great things. Yeah, I, nothing I, specific, just sort of a I think general I, bad. There's a, a finger on the pulse that the X Files was, and since then a lot of that has been explored by a lot of other people. Yeah, and. All of the History Channel, basically. Well, well yes, but the other problem is that half the people who watch the X Files like the overarching alien uh-huh. um, shadow government government thing, right. and half the people watching like the Monster of the Week thing, 
and now they've decided to go with one or the other, and I can't remember which. I like the Monster of the Week stuff. I never cared when it was a conspiracy episode. Well, the conspiracy episode got so convoluted. Yes. And diluted. Like, yes. it was different. They retconned it several times. They did all sorts of stuff. Okay, like. good. I'm glad to hear that, because I just thought I was too stupid to understand why you know, this and that could be at the same time. At one point, they convinced Mulder that this was all hallucination, that somebody had kidnapped his sister, just a, a regular, uh, not regular, I guess. A horrible. regular kidnapper? A kidnapper. Just a... And one that, of the mill white van right. piece of shit. And what happened is that the uh, van with no windows, right? I remember yep. those. Um, and that uh, this alien uh, kidnapping of his sister was a uh, compensation tool his mind made up. Um, so that happened for a while, and then he was reconvinced that it was that that itself was a lie, and that he actually did. So it's like it went back and forth in ridiculous ways, and they really lost track of it. Yeah. And I think, again, it was part of a generation, and it did not age well. Right. It's like they're not finding... And then I hate saying things like this, because I hate saying that something's a product of its time and can't extend beyond that. Right. But I really But it's also... A, if you're going to have an overarching conspiracy, right. know what that is before you start. Right. Lost, yeah. <laughs> like know what your and that seems to be end game is. Right. Don't just find out that people are interested in this weird thing that you have, and then try and figure out what that well, thing is, because that pressure right never uh, leads to anything good. The happening. Star Wars thing that we talked about last week, I think, which is, I didn't think there would be more than one movie. All of a sudden, people are demanding a trilogy. What? What the hell am I going to do? Now we're in a trilogy of a trilogy. Right. And I'm going, well, here, or if I was George Lucas, well, how do I get this to happen and that to happen? Okay, the two characters who have been romantic leads, co-leads, are actually brother and sister. Ew. And there's just, yeah, it's... It's, it's a real Game of Thrones situation. There's just an air of making it up as you go along, and I really do agree with you. I know, but then really, many people are like, no, no, he knew the whole time. And I'm no, like, no, he didn't mm, know the whole time. And no, it... And fell back, a success fell into his lap. Back when I was really into those were my heroes filmmaking until I discovered actual real filmmakers that I mean that sounds terrible, but uh, reading George Lucas's biography, it really clearly details where, where he, he got was making this things stuff up. From, yeah. Right? Yeah. He, so um, Which is his job. Make things right. up. Awesome. But like try to aim for some sort of level of consistency and be secure about yourself as an artist. Don't go back retouching things you did. Yeah. Give me a universe, make up whatever you want, and then be consistent within it. Right. That's not asking too much as an audience member. Play fair with me. I'll go anywhere you want me to go, but be consistent. And that's it. It it shows respect for your audience. And that's really what you want to do. Get across to the audience that you respect them and you know that they're not stupid. Yeah. I respect you enough to say, yeah, you're going to notice that this doesn't fit with this. Yeah. And That's that, why I couldn't... There was a show, The Following, that was on yeah. a few years ago with Kevin Bacon. Right. I watched the first season, and then about three episodes into the second season, I had to let it go because it really... It wasn't playing fair, mm-hmm. but it was also super pedantic to the audience. Like, right. let me hold your hand because you're super not going to follow this. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm following it, but it's bullshit. Well, that's kind of why um, Dollhouse, Joss Whedon's show... Mm-hmm. I think that's a good example of why that's not done more often because he had a whole arc that suddenly shifted 
um, in the middle of his first season, but it never got picked up for a second. Oh, no. So yeah. the thing was, everything he was playing How many of his for, shows did that happen to? Was stupid it just is the that two? He did this with Fox, who just ruined Firefly. Yeah. Although I have but to say... But if he had a development deal with them, then he couldn't right. go anywhere else. And I have to say, though, on the one hand, I'm really happy in what some ways that happened to Firefly, because there are just one perfect season. It is a great season. And but he yeah. didn't do what he did to Buffy, where he suddenly turns and characters are showing up, and suddenly she had a sister, and that didn't her happen. Her sister wasn't her sister. Oh, I know that it wasn't Spoiler, her sister. Spoiler, wasn't her sister. Well, <laughs> if you haven't seen it from years and years ago. But I mean... Um, but yeah, no, I understand. And then she's working at a fast food joint, and I'm and, like, what is then she goes to this set You're fucking Spike. Stop it. Stop humiliating, it. right, that one. Humiliating sexual encounters where she's actually having sex behind a dumpster somewhere. Yeah, like, dude, you're better than that. Who is an icon to young girls yeah. in seasons before that to suddenly show her just sort of so broken in spirit that she's doing this. Yeah. It, it was really sort of, it was very disappointing. So yeah, maybe maybe one perfect season of Fire uh, Firefly is what we needed. It's perfect if you watch it the way that it was meant to be released. So get yeah. the DVDs. Yeah. Or watch it on. I watched I think it on it's television. On it was out of order. It was out of order. Was they put the pilot at like eighth. Like right. it was. It was very weird. Um, Travis McElroy and his wife Teresa do a podcast called The Kind Rewind, and they just finished watching Firefly. They uh-huh. do basically what we do, only shorter. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, stuff that they have loved, so it's not stuff that they yeah, haven't seen something before. They missed. Um, and they watched it in the correct order. So yeah, I wish I could have seen it that way because I was just like, "This is great." What is it on? I remember. But we we have it. Tuning in. Oh, no, we that's can't watch it. it. But I remember tuning in once, really admiring the show because I read a lot about it while it was being released, and then one day catching an episode like the end of an episode in the middle of an afternoon base, uh, right after the end of right, an afternoon yeah, base. Right, yeah, because it would be on like 4 o'clock on a Saturday or something. started in the middle of the episode. Oh, I'm going, Jesus. well, I would have loved to have known what was going on, and I was really trying to follow this show, but Fox is really, they really messing jacked with it up, yeah. Audience, right? Well, I mean, it's not Fox that, that uh, Twin Peaks aired on, but their time is getting all messed up here right. because now they're on Saturday night. Yeah. Nobody watches anything on Saturday night. Mm, do you have anything to recommend this week? Yes, I do. Black Lightning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I probably should be slightly um, taken aback by the fact that the character's name is Black Lightning. It's not his name. It's his superhero name. Right, but I mean, <laughs> he could have just been Lightning... <laughs> But this is 1977. Oh, was yeah, when the but this show is black. Right. No, but what like I mean is... Like, they're doing with this show very similarly what, I mean, what Luke Cage did. So this show is... If it was a white character, would he be White Lightning or Lightning? Well, and Black Panther. Instead, well, Black Panther. And this is part of that same Although generation. you can't tell if Black Panther is black. Right. But he is. He is. He's very black. But you can't see that in right. the costume, he's completely covered. In this uh, Black Lightning's mm. costume, you can see his face. Right. Um, so you know that it's a black man. But it was from that same generation. Well, this, this is DC instead of Marvel, but the same generation mm-hmm. that produced Luke Cage and, and uh, Black Panther. Mm-hmm. And so. Oh yeah, because Luke Cage and Black Panther are both Marvel. Right. Okay. So um, Black Lightning, though. I was familiar from it in the beginning because of skits that Sinbad, the comedian, would do. Mm-hmm. He made an appearance dressed as Black Lightning, the forgotten superhero, going to Superman's funeral. 
Oh, interesting. On Saturday Night Live. And then when he did uh, his uh, TV show, he's the host of I Think Vibe, he used to routinely appear in, like, as this kind of in a overweight, middle aged oh, no. black lightning. <laughs> and like Samuel Jackson's character from The Incredibles? Maybe. Maybe that's what it would I want. Is he, a, is he an electricity guy? He is, I think. No, I know he's a ice frozone, right? Oh, that's right. Right, so he doesn't. But um, ooh, I'm excited about Incredibles too. Sorry, go ahead. But yeah, but so that was how I became familiar with the character. It's like I didn't even know it was a real thing. I thought it was a parody character that someone oh. did, and then found out that he was a character who had like I think all of eight episodes of the first run of a comic book. Oh, really? Yeah, just really short. And so you'd see him occasionally, like after that, you'd you'd. Uh, same appearances on cartoons and things because again my experience with comic books is when I was a child and then or when I was a child and my nephew who was six years younger than me growing up so when I was already an adult he was into comic books and part right. of the comic book scene so I would right. get a lot of stuff from him uh, and we, he would talk about Black Lightning it's like whatever happened to that guy so I so we watched the it's only had one episode one episode that we've seen I on think the CW seen. Yeah. it's not as far as I can tell, it's not part of the Arrow universe, which is Arrow, The Flash, the Flash Supergirl. Supergirl is part of that universe, yeah. although it isn't. They're in an alternate right. universe. Um, and Legends of Tomorrow is right. the other show. Um, so now they're doing Black Lightning, another DC property, but as far as I can tell, not going to be connected to the I other ones. I... Um, hard to tell, though. Yeah. Uh, I like everything about it except the name of the city that they live in. <laughs> what is it called? Freeland? Free Freetown? Free, I don't know. It's 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 very heavy heavy handed. But I like the fact that it's exploring these as modern characters. Mm-hmm. They're people. Yeah. They're they're not the and the uh, the 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 main character's got two daughters mm-hmm. and both of them are interesting characters right. so far and they both have their own motivations they're not sort of uh you know what was the i think it was Roger Ebert who talked about in action movies the female lead is usually what he calls a suitcase character mm. where her job is just to be grabbed and carried around by the hero oh yeah no and i thought both that was a good both of these way of characters it. are like pretty fleshed out and then his ex-wife fleshed mm-hmm. out yeah right. the so far the characters are, are getting um to be fully formed humans which is nice right. including the women that aren't black lightning right so far black lightning's mostly well, um ex-olympic hero super principal right. and also black lightning so he's actually probably the least fleshed out character so far <laughs> but he's also i cannot tell what his powers are right. lightning <laughs> he also seems to be able to make things Float or fly. Well, he can hold you up and levitate you you with Mm -hmm. lightning while not killing you, but then also kill you with it. And defibrillate you, apparently, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) His powers are a little confusing. So maybe they'll they'll clear that up. But the special effects are pretty good because some of the... I think that they have um, really gotten the... Flash, like the lightning type effects, mm-hmm. down with the Flash yeah. for it's on its fourth season, I think. Um, so they look pretty good so far. His right. outfit is. His outfit is 
Um, I like that he's got like a tailor. Right. It's like he he. It's almost like the Kingsman. He goes into like this tailor shop, and the guy's like, "Let's go behind this bookcase." Oh, look! I've made you a new suit, and it's apparently who made his suit before. But his daughters look at him full in the face, and he's got goggles on. Right. But it's the rest of his well, face. Well, his voice is also altered too. His, yes, there's so. like a like a crackle given to it. Right. Um, Appropriately enough. But I just, his daughters look at him full right. in the face, and I'm going to need them to know that that's Black Lightning, or that's their dad. Well, this is this. I is mean, granted that they're scared and whatever. The flaw but in the DC universe, apparently, they don't recognize you so for a pair of glasses. Lois <laughs> Lane, world class reporter, doesn't seem to recognize that that's that's Superman. But that's not, that hasn't been the case with face. Supergirl, right? People, yeah, eventually catch People on. People figure it out. Although Supergirl doesn't hide anything. I mean, right. she does wear glasses sometimes, but not all the time. Right. Um, but, like, Kat figured it out. And yeah. So I'm really going to need, like, in the first three episodes, the girls to figure it out. Right. Because they are both smart. And if you're going to give them brains in their heads, I'm going right. to need you to give them eyes out. in the front of those heads. Um, but it's good. Yeah, it's so, Which was so another fun. really funny skit I remember Terry Hatcher did. Oh, yeah. On Saturday Night Live where she, um, I think she was with Will Ferrell, and he's he can't read her cue cards, so he puts on his glasses, and she suddenly yells for security. Right, like, who is this him. person? Yeah. That was really funny. But Black Lightning, anyhow, going back to that, it was really well done. I like the fact that they're well-rounded characters. I like the fact that it's not, they're not ciphers, they're not symbols, these are people. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's, a real problem in a real community with real villains. I mean, they're kind of Bond villains. One guy at one yeah. point gets thrown into a, 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 a tank. A piranha tank. Piranha. <laughs> and uh, this is just going on in the background while people are conducting their business, yeah. which is what made it kind of funny. But um, but I actually really enjoyed the program, and I was concerned about it because... It's he, also nice to see people of darker skin tones on a CW show because right. CW, although... There's jokes about the CW mm. on the CW, how everybody is super shiny and beautiful and clean right. looking, and they do always have like one of each. Right. <laughs> but they're, so that's a fully black cast. Well, like, again, that's what I liked about Luke Cage. Yeah. And I don't know if it's going to go that black, which is Luke Cage was, and I really respected that show, especially as a reader. They're talking about Donald Goins, they're talking about. Ralph Ellison. Oh, yeah, they're giving you some black history history lessons. You know, there's a whole scene where he starts discussing Christmas addicts. Yes. Um, And just out of the blue, and you're going, you're learning something. This is an educational program. It's like, as long as I have you watching a superhero show, you're going to learn something. I'll punch something in a minute. (laughs) But first, yeah. But first, we're going to talk about Manny Pleasant, or we're going to go (laughs) on about something. And so, yeah, I really... And like every episode of Luke Cage had a... Had a the moment. The more you know. <laughs> right, the Black History moment, in it, and that's what I really respected because growing up, you didn't. And I've I've said this, I think, before. As a a, a Hispanic person, I hate using that term. There Latin was X. Latin. <laughs> there was so little representation of my people. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Freddie Prince. That was it. And you occasionally later on, we were all compelled to watch Fantasy Island because it had a Mexican in it. No. Which I like Ricardo Montalban. He's a really oh, yeah, funny no, guy. He's, yeah, fine. But that show is not so great. But the idea was, um, yeah, you would wind up supporting TV shows like Chips because of, what's his name? 
Eric uh, Estrada. Right, exactly. What's his name? You know um, his name. <laughs> because um, you felt like you, you had to show some sort of loyalty. I like the fact that my son's coming into a world where that's less of an issue. Still an issue. Still an issue, but, but less, less of an, an issue. issue. Yeah. And so you can have a TV show. There was not. There were not black superheroes. Well, that's why, like Sterling Brown, when uh-huh. he won the Golden Globe a couple of weeks ago, um, called out the showrunner or the the creator of the uh-huh. show. Um, he says he owes a lot of stuff to colorblind casting, but this role that he's playing in This Is Us right. is the it has to be a black man playing it. Right. It's not incidental that he's black. He is a black person that was adopted into a white family. You can't, you can't not right. cast a black man in this role. And so he was talking about how he was being seen for him and not right, just exactly. as a, like a placeholder. There seemed to be, when I was a kid in the 70s, there seemed to be a lot more, people were pushing it a lot more. Something happened, there was a, a conservative... Uh, like backlash, maybe the eighties. You know what it is. White it was, people apparently get super scared when no, everybody I mean, doesn't look like just, them, and they freak it out. It wasn't just, I think, in this case, white people. I think there really was the Reagan era kind of backlash of conservatism, because yeah, but I most was, of those people, right? Pale, pale, <laughs> pale of skin. When I'm watching something, like... I say like, this all as a white person, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> the Bionic Woman and Wonder Woman were running as a kid. You had female superheroes running Ooh, their own yeah. TV shows. You had that going on. <laughs> and so, right. <laughs> and th- what I liked was that the Bionic Woman was so much better in some ways than the $6 million man because... I thought so. He basically was... Lee Majors was not a big personality guy. No, he was super chill. Right. He, he always seemed to me like a second banana. Well, the other characters of the show are, to me, much more interesting than he was. Um, but with the Bionic Woman, you actually felt she was in danger, there was in trouble, there she was vulnerable, but at the but same time in charge of things. she was also a badass. Right. Also, and I so, think her pieces were better. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> like, I think her bionics. And then when you watch Wonder Woman, there was this release, when it, they, they started as a 40s kind of program, it was set in the 40s, yeah. the Second World War. And then the, I think the second season, they just updated it. So they were just like, we're 19, we're now. We're now. And so there was a She's lot a goddess, more. so right. she doesn't age. Don't worry about which it. Is a, which is the way to go, but I, I remember watching that show. Well, I mean, that's basically what they've right. done with these movies, as far as we know. And I, I like the idea that they're moving that direction. It's like, why have just a female superhero when you can have a goddess? Um, and they went full-on goddess. At one point in the Wonder Woman film, I'm looking at it going... Um, I believe she's doing the Raphael's Ascension is what yes, she's doing. There's yeah. a lot of that kind of imagery. But um, but yeah, I, I think it, for some reason it seemed like television was getting a lot less brave. And now it's going back into a period where you can see a variety of programs. You can see yourself represented, and I think it's always important. Oh, yeah. People. And frankly, as a white person, mm-hmm. if like when I look at CBS's lineup, it's always... <coughs> For whatever reason, CBS, and you know why, CBS grabs the middle of the country um, and has these um, high-rated shows that I do not watch, full of white, just chock-full of white people. Sorry. Sounds like a breakfast cereal. Chock-full of white people. Chock-full. Chock. Um, C-H-A-L-K. It bums me out. Like, I, we've seen that. I've Mm -hmm. seen that. Not just I've lived that, so I don't, but I, we have seen. But you haven't, and this is my other issue. 
you haven't seen all the stories around to tell about white people either, because there are poor white people. No, that's true. There are white people in Appalachia who never get represented, and when they are represented, I recommend Winter's Bone. Exactly. <laughs> when they get represented, they're represented as buffoons. They're represented as. I, I mean, I had this argument with a really good friend of mine, and again, having this as a straight male, so I'm always the outsider. Uh, well, almost always. I felt like it was really strange watching a movie like Monster. The Charlie Theron. Because, oh, yeah. the first, uh, Patty Jenkins. Right, but you're watching a representation of, oh, well, can, we, can we make a film about women? Yes, but um, can we make a film about lesbian women? Yes, what is the serial killer? Yeah. It's like, can we do a film? They either, <laughs> they either need to be murderers or be murdered. That's what right. lesbians get to because be into. Because you had, like, back-to-back monster and boys don't cry. Yeah, Which yeah. both part of that. Yeah. And I'm going, well, if we want to show the different stories that different people have, mm-hmm. um, well, yes, you can make stories about white people, of course, but there are more than just these kind middle of... Middle-class white people. Middle-class yeah. white people. I but mean, I also think that we need to be seeing more oh, yeah. people of various melanin tones I would like to see representation for Indian Americans. Mm-hmm. Or, here's a greater representation, Native Americans. Mm-hmm. You never see represented at all. It's barely Oh, you meant Indians from India. Yeah, because we... Yeah. And that, yes, both of those groups. Right. When I was uh, I was discussing this with a friend of mine, it's like the Indians are tech experts. The Indians are yeah, they're uh, IT or so, uh, cab drivers. You know, you realize, or they're in the convenience store. Right. Telling a friend of mine, do you realize that India produced the greatest wrestlers in the world? No, I did not know. The that. absolute greatest wrestlers who poured, I mean, just ran over the ranks of European and German champions, mm-hmm. and, uh, Gama in particular. And they have this great history. And you never think of Indian athletes. This is not something that you hear. Well, about. I think, um, and Kumail is Pakistani, uh-huh. not Indian. But um, I believe Hari Kondabolu is uh-huh. of Indian descent, and he's just done this, the documentary, "The Problem with Apu." Right. Um, and then um, uh-huh. Hassan Minaj is from that. Area, I'm so sorry. I don't know if he's Pakistani or. Uh, it's Indian. difficult because but I remember. But these are people who are finally getting to make stories where they're just representing themselves. People, right. they're not the Indian. But the problem is that you get you run into because there's so few of those stories, you will get attacked if you are not the everything. And of course, you can't be the everything. Mm-hmm. Like. Kumail's movie, The Big Sick, was uh, I lo- which I loved, right, I um, told the story of him and his actual wife. But people were like, why is he going to end up with a white woman? And I'm like, his wife is a white woman. Who's actually very charming, too. She's, <laughs> she's, she's I love sweet. Emily Gordon. I think that both of them are great. And that's uh, the story that they told. They weren't telling every... No, but I do understand. No, I understand it in terms of representation. Because, again, yeah. it's who gets because, represented. Yes, and it's also, this might be our one shot, so you right. done fucked up on this front. Right. Well, you can't tell everybody's story. So that was, right. that was a very unfair um, thing to me when people were judging him on that particular aspect. Because right. I'm like, no, 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 but this is like his what story. Like... And, and another thing, too, is that it falls into that category is that when they're telling their story, it's a generation away from being in Pakistan or in Bangladesh right. or in India. So, Although he was born in Pakistan. Right. So it's going to be an immigrant story, yeah. which is very typical in some ways. And it's going to be um, a story about 
the generation that doesn't understand their parents. Yeah. And that was something what I find Which the Chinese were doing in the 80s and right. 90s. And what Hispanic people are still doing. We're well, still doing yeah. that story about, I remember when they came over the border, it's like my people have been here for centuries. Right. Yeah, your I mean, people have been here for centuries. My people have been here. Yeah. There are mountains in California named after my family. Right. And so the idea that we have to explain to people where we came from, it's like there's a whole different story that you don't hear. Yeah. All the ones who were here before there was an America. Um, well, that's a Native American story. Right, yeah. Your family really is Native American right. rather than Mexican. Right. Because oh. they were in the Bay Area right. from forever ago. Forever ago. And some of them went down to Mexico when the United States invaded. They don't talk right. about it that way. California and then came back later. But Well, we need the gold. <laughs> but we I mean, need yeah, it. That's a story that I never hear. And no. having to explain that historically to people, it's like, no, no, my family... They yeah, were, where are you from? But, like, where are you from? Right. No, I'm from the Bay Area from, right. like, oh, way back. Can you explain? Uh, <laughs> like, like, that right. that mission, uh, newer than my family. <laughs> so, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. I am America. This is the face of America. Right, exactly. Sorry if that's upsetting to you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know when my family came over. <laughs> More recently than that. Uh, so, yeah, what exactly? Probably with the famines. I'm not, I mean, that would be my guess. I don't know. <laughs> That's probably a good guess. The Magicians. I am re- recommending The Magicians. So, I watched this show on Sci Fi. <laughs> I started watching it last year when um, I saw it on Netflix. Season one was on Netflix. And I watched the whole thing in like two days. And then I watched last season when it aired. And then I tried to watch this season when it premiered a little bit ago, like two weeks ago. And I had forgotten everything. So I'm re-binging The Magicians. So here's what The Magicians is. What if magic was real and fucked everything up? <laughs> That's basically the premise. Um, Harry Potter for Grown Ups is also, it's also sort of uh, Narnia for Grown Ups. Like, literally. Um, it's based on a series of books by Lev Grossman. Uh, it's a sci-fi original program. Sci-fi. They make better TV shows than they make movies, I think. Oh, God. I think that their budget for each episode of this is the same as the budget of uh, the entire short Sharknado franchise. Well, I think that they are almost known for making bad movies at this is, point. Are they just doing it and to keep up the brand? You know... Yeah, yeah. No, but now their their movies are... Now they're known for just doing really Giant hokey, CGI thing. Hokey, cheap uh, like movies. Like three monsters <coughs> mashed into one monster, mm-hmm. fighting three other monsters mashed into another monster. It's all CGI. And, and it's they're terrible. Really and Ian Searing is running around. Like Wolf, Sharktopus, and... Sharktopus. Uh, Damn you, shocked. Yeah, it's just like these really lame monsters. It's like, you know, when you're watching the Japanese films, there's really there's all sorts of neat stuff going on. The flying turtle from outer space, the fire-breathing dinosaur. And yeah, none of that sounds good to me. The sci-fi channel comes up with a 60-foot shark. I'm going, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a shark. It's going to be dangerous. If it's, it's a 60, mega shark, dude. Right, it'll be dangerous if it's 10 and it's going to fight. There's the volcano tarantulas. There was ice spiders was one of them. Yes, I, I, I think the ice spiders might have fought the... I don't know. And they all have... Yeah, it's bad. 
Anyway, but their TV is good because we've previously recommended Channel Zero, uh-huh. um, their yeah, anthology yeah. series, and it, that's going to be starting up again soon with a new series, and we still haven't watched season one. Um, and then they're doing The Magicians, um, and I know that like Warehouse 13 is pretty popular. Um, is that still around? I don't know the answer to that. I've never watched it, so. Okay. but I, I know that it went on for a while. But yeah, no, I enjoy The Magicians very much. You tolerate it when I watch it. I told it because I like what's her name. She's very pretty. Which one? <laughs> Which who? The library, the sexy librarian look. I can oh, never remember. Oh, Alice. Her yes. <laughs> like oh. Well, all of the people. Well, they're all. All of the women are very attractive. All the guys are kind of grungy. The dudes are like no. Oh, the um the seeker guy or the traveler guy, the Indian mm. actor. Uh-huh. Two thumbs up. But I. I Arjun. I like. Up. I like the show, and I feel like some of the... And again, it's the age of the characters. Yeah, they're all grad student age, so 22, 23, choices sometimes. Do you want to yell at the screen? But I have to admit, like, the villains are really compelling. Mm -hmm. Don't... I I kept thinking about... But there is some graphic violence. There is remarkably graphic sex. Right. There is the swearings. Yes. I mean, it's an adult-oriented show. Again, it really is an adult Harry Potter. Yeah. In but like a school for adult, magic. like right. X-rated Harry Potter, like to the well hard R-rated. Mm-hmm. It's not like I think Harry Potter is for adults because Harry Potter is awesome. But right. that's not what I mean. It's like a hard R. Yeah, it, there's moments that, that that are surprisingly. I mean, a trigger warning. There was a one of the characters is raped by a supernatural entity, mm-hmm. and then she goes on this mission of vengeance. Mm-hmm. With another character who had um, was a possibly a pederast. I don't no, no, know. No, no, no. He or he's was a victim the one. Of it. He's the victim of. But he likes hanging around playgrounds. Yeah, so I'm, I'm it's wondering totally. If yeah, I don't know. <laughs> if there's something going on with him, that's why I say that. But yeah, so it's if that kind of thing bothers you, adult themes. Yeah, right. and I could see that being. Uh, don't go a into it thinking like if somebody tells you it's an adult Harry Potter that you're going to be seeing something. Yeah, no, whimsical. because what you find out is magic, just like anything else, can cause problems, right. and. The more you try and fix it, the maybe more in trouble you get. It follows the the great dictum with an adventure story that it's as good as the villain, and the villains are really horrifying and terrible, and there's no easy fixes with them. They're dangerous all the time. Nope. And once they find a fix for one thing, another thing breaks. So... And so I, I kind of like this constantly fighting against despair element. It's beautifully photographed. It really is. It, it, it's a lovely show right. to watch. The production design, the art direction, and... Um, They've like, got money. Well, it's also, Or even if they don't, they're doing what they can with it. They're not overwhelming you with special effects. I mean, when I paid attention to the couple of the episodes that you were watching the other day, mm-hmm. it wasn't... Um, it wasn't... A, the number of actual... You know, they talk about spells, they do all sorts of mudras with their hands. There's not a lot of... Um, Big fantasy scenes. No, in the course you of the do show. see characters that are right. other. But what you do have is that when the special effects are used very judiciously, they're really impressive. The mm-hmm. villain, the first, well, his first manifestation, he's headless and his head is composed of fluttering moths. Moths, yeah, and so it's so a really upsetting. creepy Ooh. effect. I don't and like. I don't like moths. Right. I don't. They they are unsettling because I can't tell where they're gonna go and a lot of times they'll fly right into your face and I don't Well it's the randomness like that. of their movement and they're, yeah. they're fairly blind, you know, knocking into you. 
But that image was really well done. It yeah. was really creepy and haunting. And so they use it judiciously, the special mm-hmm. effects, and it's done to an impressive effect in the end. Yeah. Yeah. It's not sort of like those sci-fi movies that you mentioned that just load We're on. just like, here's everything. Bad effect on top of bad effect, you know. And if you look real closely, you can see the ones and zeros. Right. <laughs> like, it's Just the same way that I used to look for the fish in line holding up the stuff. But no, uh, it's, uh, it's, I don't always like the characters, and sometimes I'm frustrated at the decisions they make. But it's actually a good, compelling show. Not completely to my taste, no. but Yes. But I've been binging it in the background while I've been working. So, right. uh, The Magician's on Sleepy. Yeah. Sleepy. You can watch the first two seasons on Netflix. Uh, yeah. Third season is airing now on a sci-fi network. A better way of putting it to me is it, it fulfills the promise of something like True Blood, which is a fantasy show for adults that's not just doing adult-type things. Yeah, yeah, because True Blood was like, we're going to make a fantasy show for adults, i.e., right. We're going to fuck all the time. Right. There's just a lot of sex. Appropriate or inappropriate. We will be fucking. The same issue that I had with American Horror Story, Mm, which is to them, to producers, horror meant violence, graphic, horrible violence. Graphic violence, yeah. And it's like, no, there's so much more to it. And you're just getting like the surface stuff. Yeah. If you like our show, please share it with friends. Um, Subscribe um, on iTunes or... Google Play or any of those other places where you get your podcasts. Um, you can write to us if you have any questions, concerns, comments. Uh, we'd answer. I read all of our emails. So far, we've got a grand total of zero. So please send an email our way to latecomerspod at gmail.com. Uh, we're on Twitter at latecomerspod. I'm terrible at tweeting. I'm going to try and learn how to get better. I can be found at Amity Armstrong on Twitter and my website where you can see all the other ridiculousness that I'm trying to do uh, is AmityArmstrong.com. Hey, Lemuel. Yes, dear. You got some Twitter? No, I don't have you a Twitter yet. You got a separate email that you want to give out? <laughs> Your personal no, email again? No, not today. I'm t- yeah. <laughs> but um, I will, like last week, promote my book. There you are. Okay. Sealing Night on Amazon, that's S-E-E-L-I-N-G. Night, like the nighttime, not like the person. Thank you to Freak Fandango Orchestra for our theme song, Late As Usual. I think that's everything. Yes, it is. We love you very much. Thanks for sticking with us on this long episode. I hope I don't have to break it in half to upload it. Godzilla. Godzilla. For all you Gojira fans out there, <laughs> just remember, better late than never. Yeah, <laughs> because I said that was really good. I felt 